Blog Talk Radio. Always, 
the way we get started with our party is to introduce to you our political analysts and panelists for the day. Right now, we'd like to bring in Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome Brother Anthony to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we then will bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. And my thing is all about institution building. You know, recently, Brother Africa, I read an article about the crisis in education, and it's very, very interesting. Because what they are simply doing, um, unbeknownst to the masses of people in America, is that they are changing the whole accreditation process of the universities. In other words, there's a board that oversees you know, universities to ensure that people get a quality education. Well, the move now is to eliminate the power of the, of the accreditation board and in the process of giving that power to the states. So what that means in, in terms of curriculum, it means that the states are pretty much empowered to pretty much shape the curriculum. And the biggest concern in terms of a particular move is that when you talk about a change in curriculum, it comes with uh, real questions, in particular when we talk about quality of content when it comes to education. Also the question in terms of science, I mean, with science, you meet scientific standards. And also the question in terms of when you talk about just in terms of religion, we talk about creationism versus evolutionism, to what extent will creationism be uh, being relevant in terms of academic discussions. So clearly that's some real, real problems in terms of this. But also saw the underscored point that this whole drive in terms of, you know, dumbing down the population is in full effect. And one of the things I'm reminded of the fact that we talk about charter schools and one of the things the, charter, the, the whole child school movement is all about the elimination of public education. So the whole point is to ensure that you create a, a people, children in particular students, who are pliable, uh, people who uh, or children who are incapable of abstract thought who can only um, articulate that is which they were told as opposed to being able to reason. So clearly this move in terms of dumbing down the population is in full effect, and we've got to be very, very concerned about that. That's when um, uh, community uh, institutions come into play. Uh, if we know this is one of the strategies they're utilizing in terms of you know, pre- preserving power for themselves, then we have, to do, we have to empower our children. We have to create conditions in the community which is not only the importance of education, but also create conditions in which the kids are expected to excel academically. But we can only do that with institutions. So I encourage people to get about the business of building those institutions because the situation is very, very critical, and, and nothing's going to change that. Uh, clearly, people in power got a, 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 a agenda to carry out, and they're doing it just what they're doing it quite well. And they're doing it, you know, under the guise of, you know, um, you know, non, non-disclosure. So everything they do is not revealed to the public. So it's important we understand what they're doing and why they're doing it and the impact it has on our community. And now I'm close to that, Brother Africa. And again, I want to say thank you for having me. Thank you, Brother Haki. For having Brother Haki, we're bringing Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Move. Thank you. Um, Brother Jabari, resident researcher, looking forward to another type of program. I always appreciate the honor and privilege to appear. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Bobby, and welcome, Brother Moses, to Africa on the Move. Greetings, greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. 
And I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism ever since I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the awesome finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again for Brother Africa allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. And to our listening audience, right now we're going to start with our segment, What's Going On in Your World and Community. And you can feel free to call in to share with us what's going on in your world and the community. As I mentioned earlier, we were scheduled to have Sister Tawana Jones at Pan Africa to come on during the segment to talk about some of the things that are going on in our community, which is very pertinent to our theme tonight, which is a war against our people. Um, we are, we have been given notice. Sister Tarana Jones says she, she will be calling in later, so we are waiting for her to call in. And if we don't have him on today, we must definitely try to get him on next week because there are some important things that are going on in Baltimore City, and there's going on around the, things that are going on around the issue of the cases of Mumia Abu-Jamal and Jamil Alamine, formerly known as formerly known as um, H. Rap Brown. H. Rap Brown, right. So we want you all to um, stay tuned because there are some things going on where they might be given a retrial to uh, retrial that case and hopefully they can um, get the justice that is due to them in terms of being able to be, be, be released from no dungeons in the U.S. So right now what we're going to do until further notice, we're going to ask each panelist to talk a little bit about and share with us on what's going on in our world and our community. We'll start off. We'll start off with you, brother Haki. I start off with you first. Go ahead, brother Haki. Yeah, a couple of things. First, African awareness. We, we travel the road to liberation and freedom to Cuba. We'll be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. The trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. For more information, we ask people to give us a call at 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And we encourage people to go to Cuba firsthand and see exactly, you know, why Cuba has done such great things in terms of humanity and why it's capable of producing some of the best doctors and best scientists on the planet. So we encourage people to go for themselves and see firsthand and understand how these lessons from Cuba can be applied our struggles right here in America. Uh, the second thing, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things, um, you know, I find ironic, you know, often, you know, we talk about the kind of discrimination that takes place in the workplace. And, and, and as much as we like to believe that the discrimination is, is, is a thing of the past, uh, it always seems to, um, you know, it reveals itself. Uh, here recently in Walmart in, uh, in Illinois, the situation where historically they've used, you know, subcontractors to hide their labor. And, of course, these subcontractors do background check on the people that they hire to work in those factories. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Walmart, for economic reasons, decided it's going to rid of the subcontractors and it's going to hire its own people. But in the process, it also decided that it's going to eliminate those people who previously worked for them under the guise that some of them had, quote, unquote, criminal records. Well, the whole question in terms of criminal records was known prior, prior, you know, prior to their employment in the first place. The subcontractors also get a background check, and those 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 uh, criminal backgrounds were revealed. And so Walmart knew precisely who was working those warehouses. So now all of a sudden, now that they planned on hiring their own people, 
it comes with a, 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 a increase of wages. It also comes with increase in terms of you know vacation time and so forth. Now that they have these improvements in terms of those things that are beneficial to the workers, now all of a sudden you become discriminatory and you don't want these these African people who worked for all these years. You know, now that you're going to pay a decent salary, you want to somehow get rid of them. So it seems to me that this question in terms of race is one that continually comes up. And the mere fact that they're going to exclude those workers who worked for them for years with the same criminal background, now all of a sudden the criminal background becomes an issue. So clearly with the, the motivation in terms of Walmart is, is a suspect. And I think we've got to be very concerned about this, this, this mindset which says that African people only should only be privy to a certain amount of money, that anything over that particular amount is simply too much for African people to, 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 to have. So I think there's a fundamental problem in terms of race in the workplace, and I think it's something that we have to be uh, very, very aware about. Okay, Brother Hackey, thank you. But what we're going to do right now, we're going to go to, I believe we have Sister Tawana Jones on the phone now. We'd like to bring in, and we'd like to welcome Sister Tawana Jones. Welcome to Africa on the Move, my sister. How are you doing? <laughs> Tawana, can you hear us? Yes. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Yes. Hello. You know, Sister Tawana, Sister Tawana, Hello? one of the Hello? things we want, yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Okay, yeah, I can hear you, because I'm at this event, so it's kind of loud. I stepped out for a few okay. seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Sister, our theme today is a war against our people. And one of the reasons why we invited you to this program, we understand in Baltimore there's mm-hmm. definitely a war going on with our people in the city of Baltimore. I'd like for you, the best that you can, to give us a little general backdrop and update on the last couple of years, at least in Baltimore, what's been going on with the people in Baltimore, the resignation of the mayor, and this whole question of John Hawkins, High School, John Hawkins University, what's going on at the institution? From your perspective, and last but not least, we know that you being a conscious political activist and organizer, there are some things also happening with you that our people need to know. But first and foremost, talk a little bit about the, the condition in Baltimore. How would you describe it within the last couple of years from your experiences of living there? Yeah, so the last couple of years has been horrible, like poor leadership, they're killing unarmed black men and women at a rampant pace, and nobody's being held accountable. And when they murdered my brother, Tyron Russell, on July the 18th, 2013, I felt compelled to step to the streets and take action, immediate action. And I've been out here now for 300 weeks, um, over 2,100 and something days. And the saddest part, you see no real change. All you see is the brutality continue at a rapid pace. Since my brother's death, I've seen Freddie Gray's uprising. I've seen, you know, mayor after mayor. I've seen um, different commissioners. And I'm seeing no transparency at all. And as far as with Hopkins is concerned, Hopkins students are doing the most uh, beautiful thing right now. They're doing a, a real-life setting because they're saying, no to private police because they're actually trying to bring in a new police force for Hopkins, and Hopkins students are not going for it. More than 75% of the students are saying, no, we don't want um, private police, and they're saying no to ICE, and they're saying they want accountability for my big brother, Tyrone West, and they've been in solidarity with me. And since then, last Wednesday, um, the president of Hopkins sent a 
uh, a terrible threat to my attorney's office, stating that I couldn't be on the grounds after hours. Mind you, everybody in the community is, is there on ground, you know, supporting the students, but he's more intimidated by me. I don't know why, but nevertheless, after that threat came uh, a white prejudiced man standing by my car 50 feet away, threatening violence, and he hit two um, protesters that were peacefully walking me to my car for safety, and then they in turn get attacked. And this is irate. And then he's threatening to actually come out to West Wednesday arms and things of that nature, but that's not going to stop me. So I'll just let y'all know I'm going to continue on holding it down. I'll continue on keeping y'all posted, but nothing has changed at all in this city, nothing at all. Man, you know, recently uh, at John Hawkins there was like – some students took over a building there. Can you talk a little bit about yes. student activism on yes, campus and your relationship yes, to that? Yes. Yeah, so they took over Garland Hall, and they're doing a setting, and they've been there over 30 days now, setting and saying no to private police, no to ICE, and they want accountability for my big brother, Tyrone West. And they're actually now threatened to now arrest them. So we'll just see what happens, and I'll definitely keep you posted. Man, I thought it was interesting because I I never heard of that particular incident at John Hawkins because if I read the major newspapers, when you look at the major media, no one is talking about it. That's why I thought it would be real important for you to share that story with our yeah. audience in terms of what's going on with our students at John Hawkins. Also, in terms of your yeah, public health, okay. how did he actually die? What, what happened in, in terms of his case? What, what happened to him in terms of been assassinated by the police. How did that go down? Who, my brother? Yes. Yeah, so my brother Tyrone West was basically an unarmed male. He was driving my Mercedes Benz. He was pulled over for a so-called traffic stop, and the first two killer cop, Ruiz and Chapman, are repeat violent offenders that actively work for um, Baltimore City Police Department to this day. They, in turn, started beating and pepper spraying my brother. They called in 11 to 15 more officers, including one Morgan State University officer named David Lewis, and David Lewis made sure my brother died after the end of the attack. He sat on my brother's dying back, and he murdered him, as well as all 11 to 15 that hit him with batons. They beat him. They tortured him. People had video footage. We never got anything back, but I'll definitely, you know, I'm going to definitely keep on fighting and, you know, and putting them out there, the dirt, and hopefully soon we'll be having accountability because I'm not going to stop until killer cops are in cell block. That's my goal, and that's what's going to happen. So. Now, what has been the general response among the so-called African leadership or the African political class in, in, in Baltimore? How have they responded to the, not only just your situation, but just the whole situation of how the cops have a tendency to just terrorize the brothers and sisters in Baltimore on a daily basis? Yeah, that's how they deal with that. Yeah, so, so basically the students, like I said, are stepping up standing visually, and they're saying no. And that's exactly why they're uplifting my brother's name, because they know what happened shouldn't have happened, and nobody ever got a health accountable. So. But my phone is like on 2%, and I don't want it to die off before we actually end the phone call. Okay, before you do that, for people who want to support you, find out more what's going on in Baltimore, give us a contact number, address, or how can they support your work What's going on up in Baltimore and stay in touch with you? 
Okay, thank you so much, my brother. They can stay in contact with me through my email, Miss Tawanda, M-I-S-S-T-A-W, um, A-N-D-A-1-7 at yahoo.com. They can also reach out to me on my brother page, Justice for Tyrone West. And then also the students at Hopkins, they have a coalition. It's the set-in. John is called J-H-S. Um, setting, and they can um, also leave me a message there, and I'm sure the students will definitely give it to me. And God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for inviting me to your show. This will not be my last time, and I'll definitely keep you posted as well as people around the world what's going on. Thank you so much. Again, sister, we thank you for your time and sharing with us in terms of what's been going on in Baltimore. We'll stay in touch. We thank you. Thank you so well, much. Well, listen, audience. Uh, you've been listening to Sister Tawana Jones. She's a resident in Baltimore. And she's just talking about the recent climate in Baltimore in terms of how the whole situation is geared towards um, oppressing the brothers and sisters in Baltimore uh, from the various administrations, the lack of accountability from the police department there, the whole response of universities inside the cities like John Hawkins. One of the things they are doing is they are intensifying uh, the, the police prison there, they call him a private police um, entities to help secure the campuses. Now, I notice that's something really interesting in the urban cities when you look at universities. Where you, where you find a university where they, are, where they are seen to be surrounded by African communities, they have a large presence of police only when they under that particular um, scenario. What can all this be about? What kind of signal are they sending us? So anyway, we thought we would have the sister come and share with her about what's going on in Baltimore because definitely it's a means for act of war against our people. And if you don't understand the very forms of warfare comes 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 into or plays out, then we're gonna be in the, be in a bad situation of trying to address our problem and, er- and eradicating it. So we thought we'd share that with you. What we're gonna do right now, we can go back to our political panelists. And asking what's going on in that world, in our community, we now we'll go to Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world, in your community, Brother Anthony? Uh, certainly. Uh, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, is organizing our 43rd commemoration of African Liberation Day, Palestine Day 2019. This will be a Pan-African and International Revolutionary Podcast Symposium. That would take place Saturday, May 18th, 2019, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. New York time for those uh, of our audience that are at home in Africa. Uh, Our theme this year is Generations of Resistance and Revolts, Rebellions and Revolutions as Illuminated in Cuba, Haiti, Libya, Palestine, and Venezuela. Smash the repression industrial complex worldwide, remembering and honoring the birthdays of Ho Chi Minh and Malcolm X. Uh, for more information, please call 202-239-2676 or visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Also, uh, there was an incident in the Pittsburgh area uh, recently. A student, uh, an African student, 
got uh, suspended from school for retaliating uh, against a bully that called him a racial slur. And uh, his father is an an attorney, and um, they're pursuing uh, legal action against the, the school board in that area. Uh, both uh, students were, were were suspended, but um, the school has a history of not getting to the root of uh, of the problem, and African students are suffering, uh, you know, in silence against, you know, uh, racism being exhibited in you know at the school. Now this happened in the vicinity of Pittsburgh. But it probably goes on, you know, in other parts of the U.S. as well. And this fits in perfectly with the thing for tonight. And one of the ways it's being waged is, uh, you know, our youth are being attacked. Okay. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Jabari, what's going on in your world and the community? Um, I recently read an article... Um, entitled Virginia Death Row Inmates Prevailing Fourth Circuit. Now, recently, there was a lower court ruling for a group of Virginia Death Row inmates that found that their living conditions were amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. These particular prisoners were in the Sussex One State Prison. And in regards to some of the um, grievances expressed in this lawsuit were the fact that they will be in solitary confinement for 23 or 24 hours a day. They were in 71-square-foot um, cells. They had one hour of outdoor recreation five days a week, a 10-minute shower three days a week. Yes, you heard that correctly, a 10-minute shower three days a week. And these particular um, inmates were stating that the living condition they were in resulted in serious psychological and emotional harm. And ultimately, um, their lawsuit was held, and as a result of this lawsuit, some of the changes that were made were a $2 million being spent on a new day room and improvements to the outdoor recreation yard. But the bigger question is, how do you alleviate conditions like this even existing? We have um, money to spend in the most useless ways, but when it comes to humanity, what are we doing to ensure that everybody has some sense of humanity? That's a good question, uh, Brother Zabari. I just would like to quickly respond to and go to Mosby. I think when you raise that question, I think in this society, once you have been in prison, you no longer have no humanity. You are known as automatically become a slave, but you don't even become a human being. And this is why they can allow them to live in these kind of um, conditions, and people don't have no real serious response to this whole issue of the conditions that human beings are living under once they are incarcerated. I totally agree with you. But let me right now move on to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Are you with us, Brother Moses? Okay, what are we going to do right Hello? now? When we call- Hello? Yes, Brother Moses. What's going on in your world in the community? Yes, Brother Moses. 
Yeah, there's a struggle over the Venezuelan embassy and um, the the right to to protect it from the uh, uh, counter revolutionaries who are, who are trying to overthrow the legitimately elected government of Venezuela, and um, and some activists um, the have the, the Democracy Now reported that the 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 keys were given to uh, some activists and on the left activists and uh, and they've been holding different uh, workshops and symposiums there each night at the embassy trying to uh, hold out and uh, the, um, the people are having problems getting uh, um, food into the people in the embassy because the embassy has been surrounded and uh, and so there's a real struggle going on going on and uh, it has bearings on uh, where the future goes in terms of left wing politics in the U.S. Thank you. Yeah, thank you Brother Moses. Yeah, I think in this embassy case one the question again becomes how U.S. continue to violate International law, because when you deal with the embassies, will be property property of that of that country. And right now, there seem to be that the U.S. government is facilitating uh, very reactionary people to come in and destroy the embassy under the disguise of um, being uh, dissidents against the so-called government of, of Venezuela. So um, it just shows you how, how far this country is going in terms of their behavior of being lawlessness. We had talked about that before. But, panelists, what we can do right now, we're going to take a station break. We're going to pause for this cause. And when we come back, we can go directly to our theme, speak to our theme and war against our people. As relates to Haiti, you can bring in our sister, Izele Danto. We're going to have a serious discussion with her about Haiti, what it means to the rest of the world, and uh, why our brothers and sisters are being treated like this. So, don't go nowhere. We're going to pause for this cause, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this war against our people, and we're going to be speaking with Sister Izeli Tanto. We'll be right back. You are listening to Africa on the Move. And he was taken from my 
welcome you back to Africa on the Move. Yes, they were right. We were fighting upon our arrival, and we are still fighting for our survival. That's a life for African people living in the Western Hemisphere and throughout the world at this stage of our historical development. Right now, we can go directly to our theme, a war against our people, and discuss the theme we have invited with us, our beloved sister, Izeli Nato. She's going to talk to us about the history and the struggle of Haiti. And when we talk about Haiti, Haiti is probably one of the most, if not one of the most important country historically in the Western Hemisphere that has played a major role and impact on the movement and the forward progress of African people. Matter of fact, Sister Zilli, I'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Move. Welcome. Thank you for having me, my brother. Um, I say honor and respect to the panelists and to the folks who spoke before me. My name is Ezeli Danto. I'm a human rights lawyer, performance poet, and I run the Free Haiti Movement and the Haitian Lawyers Leadership Network. <clears throat> As you say, um, I am Desaline's daughter. Um, we think he is the greatest hero who ever lived because he uh, faced the evil you've been talking about and uh, took it down. It took down three European powers. And my work at the Free Haiti Movement is to remember the ancestors and to try to find some of the hearts that helped put down white supremacy in 1791 uh, and have them connect back to source so that we can liberate the black woman and black male children today. The work that I do, I've been doing for many decades. Haiti is under occupation, and the Neanderthal Europeans came back in 2004, which was the 200th year anniversary of the Haitian Revolution. Um, And it is completely right now um, destroyed in terms of occupation. We have a puppet government put in under, uh, well, you put in under Obama and Mrs. Clinton. We call them the, not the Democrats, but the demon rats. And uh, we, uh, at the resistance, stand in solidarity with all who stand for the liberation of all people. And like I said, um, as a black woman, um, for the black woman's children all over the planet. With regards to Haiti, um, I do specific things, um, and I don't like to give a litany of the evil and the um, terror of white supremacy and white privilege, um, because I just give it memberment. But suffices to say, at the moment, um, there's probably 5 million Haitians outside of Haiti and 13 million Haitians inside of Haiti. Uh, Of those numbers, 8% of the ones outside of Haiti so just busy with the grind of survival and trying to keep their family intact in Haiti from all the ravages of occupation that they don't really have uh, the time and sometimes not even the inclination to fight back. And a lot of them are... um, 
are straight up enemies because they're working with our uh, enemies to maintain colonialism. So that's 80% of the Haitian diaspora. And then the 20% left are those that I work with who are working to bring down um, Mandele. We have a template, and we work on that template no matter what the propaganda that's going on in the world. The template was the one left to us by the ancestors, and I, and I, and I share it with everyone who is fighting. Uh, that template is Kanga Mandele, Kanga Fioti, Kanga Najoki, Kanga Yo. So we have to stop the colonists, his collaborators, and Najoki, all his evil forces. I have been saying this since I started, and I'm going to say this to the day I die. That is the template to take down white supremacy. It is the only template that actually took down white supremacy. Um, so, and it was articulated at a Vodun ceremony where the Africans who became Haitians in the land of the Tainos who were uh, uh, mis- uh, blacks are original to planet Earth, and what they're calling the Tainos were black people. The Caracols in Haiti were black, the Aguinis were black, and so forth. We don't know our history, so we teach history. Um, we teach not the Abrahamic religion history that, you know, the world started 6,000 years ago. Haiti, and I invite all Pan-Africanists to study the, not what is being put out there by these European minds or these Haitians or others who are um, educated by the references of previous uh, uh, white supremacists and they keep passing it on. Haiti's a billion years old, over a billion years old. They can't date it. So we're talking about this, a very ancient land. And the name Ai means my homeland. And we were at one point in the universe, one people, and we recognize all of us, no matter where we were, in the landmass that's today called Europe or the landmass that's called uh, Australia or the landmass that's called Africa, we were all um, black folks and family. We go back there. I am Disaline's daughter. When people are talking about people of color, when people are talking about minority, when people are talking about multiculturalism, we're not into it. We are black. And black is a sign of warriorship. It always has been for us and always will be. And it's in our constitution when Haiti became a <clears throat> nation. The African warriors wrote in the 1805 constitution, which I invite all of you to go on online, put 1805 Haitian constitution. In that constitution, it defines what a man is, what a black man is. It defines what we are as a people and it connects us back to the ancients, the ancients that we don't see. Because in this space that we are in, we have lost connection to source. And so we have created in Vodun a particular way to get back to source so that strangers don't come here 6,000 years from wherever they came from, and all of a sudden they're taking the nose of all the, our ancestors and, 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 and destroying them and calling themselves the originals and us the aboriginals. So um, this is where we are in Haiti. Um, recently, the puppet president, Jovenel Moïse, went to Maui Lago with a bunch of other... Um, uh, this is how I 
at the Free Haiti Movement, look at the world at the moment. There, there is CARICOM, which is the 15 Caribbean countries. There is the 53 African Union. There's Latin America. And then North America and Europe. In those spaces, obviously the Global South suffers from being the export economy for the motherland. Haiti is the only country that didn't in the Caribbean have a motherland. So uh, right now, um, when we focus on who's the gang that's destroying Haiti, it's a united uh, uh, enterprise. And in that united enterprise, there are nine um, ambassadors. I say their names because they are our naked enemies, and they are the ones that we are blocking. They are what I call Mundele, the colonists. They are the ambassadors who represent the United States, France, Canada, Brazil, Spain, the ambassadors who represent uh, Germany, OAS, excuse me, Brazil, Spain, OAS, Organization of American States, the United Nations, and the European Union. So we essentially have the clerk, those of you who know our history, remember when um, the Africans had taken their, their freedom, uh, Napoleon sent an armada, and, it, and it, was, it was headed by his brother-in-law, um, General Leclerc. Well, General Le, and, and it had uh, all of the countries that Napoleon had conquered at that time, including you know some Polish and so forth and so on, and they brought that armada over to, to, to fight us. Uh, Swiss, Polish, Germans, and so forth. So that's what we have now. We have Germany, we have Spain, we have Brazil, we have Canada, we have France, we have the United States. This is the armada that has come. They have come to wipe us totally out. And they are doing that in face of everybody. Now, we, 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 we have geographically special place between two places that the United States has yet to, uh, that sacred circle. They have yet to essentially taken over Venezuela or Cuba. We're right in the middle. So it's a strategic place for their war mongers to come and land and, and uh, launch their wars. Now, uh, recently, like I said, in Mar-a-Lago, there were five Caribbean um, sambos, including Jovenel Moise from Haiti, who went to meet with Trump. I think the others was Jamaica, um, uh, uh, Bahamas, St. Lucia, and so on, and, and Dominican Republic. Now, these guys, the reason why they were rewarded with an audience with the you know, latest vampire at the, at the um, White House, whatever, is um, because they voted against um, Maduro. Um, and for Guado. And so as at that time of that vote, just to just give you a, a, a very clear picture of what's going on in Haiti, since the earthquake, um, there are things that the United States has wanted to do, break the back of Haitian resistance for centuries that they haven't been able to do, but they were able to do a big portion of that. Of course, I still exist. And my job is to take them down. So we're still here at the Free Haiti Movement. But there is a very big uh, uh, destruction 
of the Haitian bloodline happening, right? Right at you know, first they had the the UN come in with fifteen thousand troops. They stayed for fifteen years, from two thousand four all the way till last year. They left hundreds of thousands of babies, half babies. This is how I remember in Ivory Coast and other places when they mix the blood, the children come out. They don't know where they are. Um, and they break the connection to the Haitian Revolution. This is something that they wanted to do. This is something they're doing, and they're doing it right in front of everyone. And I'm always wondering where are our allies. Um, so, uh, so with respect to that, at this meeting, uh, 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 that Sambo Jovenel Moise, he's a, a drug trafficker. Now the patterns are the same. The United States. Uh, uh, gets these men very early on. Um, it, 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 it shepherds them into illegality and banditry and sexual decency, and then it uses it against them in order to keep them in line and keep and give them power in Haiti. Uh, a great percentage of the Haitian parliament are narco traffickers. Give them power. Because if they don't vote the way they want them to vote, then they hang over their head uh, the prospect of lifetime in prison in Miami. Now, they used, for instance, Guy Philippe in 2004 to take down President Aristide, who was a former client of mine. Um, um, and as they used Guy Philippe, who was a former military, Haitian military, trained, of course, in Ecuador by the U.S. Special Forces, brought back to Haiti to do his, 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 his uh, uh, destructions. And then, you know, when the, when the black man thinks that, you know, oh, I did this by myself, then the, the, the white handler comes in and says, no, we own you. We gave you the resources, we gave you the visas, we gave you the, uh, 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 the ability to do this, and we gave you the media. Uh, and so today, Guy Philippe, who did the um, <clears throat> 2004 uh, 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 coup d'etat, supposedly, but it really was done by the United States and U.S. Special Forces, who put Aristide in and a plane and deported him back to Africa. And I still did not hear uh, 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 too many uh, 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 sustained, except for Brother Lee and the, some of you here. Uh, here, um, so here we are. Um, the like the Haitian government right now um, have all uh, most of them are fo- they're folks that were unelected that bought their position because they were uh, 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 gangsters who were able to buy their positions. The few that are not, we work with them but they are overwhelmed without resources, without media. And so I've always said we need media, uh, money, um, and so they don't have those things, and it's very difficult for their voices, the resistance, to be, to be, to be heard above the law uh, of the prop- propagandists, right? Um, recently, um, members of the opposition, supposedly of Haiti, uh, came to Washington to meet with um, uh, 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 the Congressional Black Caucus, and it's all a very big joke because um, the, these people are so clueless. The demon rats are so clueless. This is why they're going to lose this election, and someone can, can quote me when Trump wins again. 
um, because they are clueless about the state of the working class in America. They are clueless about imperialism and its devastation, and and it's a it's a willing it's a uh, a, a willingness uh, 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 something that's very very deliberate. As you know, uh, Biden is their uh, I guess going to be their 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 um their candidate their major candidate with San, uh, Bernie Sanders, and both of them are imperialists who are cheering on Trump with his project with Venezuela. But I want to say with regards to all of that, that um, Haiti stands alone. The resistance exists. And that resistance says that um, uh, we have to find different allies and uh, different alternatives, which is why um, I think I don't know, it was February, between February 7th and February 17th, when the people took to the streets, they were, they are so terrorized, the Haitian people right now, and without any relief. As you know, the Clintons came in and um, raised something like $13 billion, and uh, the Haiti still is dying from having no clean water. Certainly has no infrastructure for education, for electricity, or school. Um, so, so, and that's unpurposed as it's unpurposed. Um, so that when, like I was saying, in the last massive protest, the the the, the Haitian, um, the dying Haitian collective burned the U.S. flag, and they they put out an SOS to Russia. And actually, uh, Russia did uh, respond and essentially went to the U.N. and said uh, in reference to Venezuela that the United States had a double standard. It denounced the U.S. double standard um, in Haiti and Venezuela. It said that the United States was trying to bring a puppet to Venezuela in the same way that they have a puppet in Haiti. So even though Haitians died for doing that, because... um, this is the paradigm. As I said, you know, the paradigms don't change. You have Mandela, you have the colonists, and he comes in all different formats. Um, but at the end of the day, the white saviors are the worst uh, because they're always the ones that are going to tell you they're empathetic while they're building up mass incarceration all around you. Okay, so the same mass incarceration that Bill and Hillary did in America when they came to Haiti after the earthquake, they built more prisons than they did shelters. That's who and what they are. They do not change. With respect to Bafiotti, we are dealing with folks right now that I look at in the United States that people are elevating, but folks who are part of the imperialist cadre of Bafiotis. You know, whether we talk about, because I like to name names, Daniel, Cheryl Mills, uh, 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 you know, back in the day of, of Bush, it was Colin Powell and Condi Rice. You know, now you have these bifuties, these collaborators, these um, integrationist types of people that do not say black specifics first. I say black specifics first. I stand in solidarity with all black specific restorative justice, and that's what we're working with right now. Um, um, so instead of just giving you uh, uh, a litany, I just sort of giving you a summary and to let you know that um, the, you know, Trump did not do any worse than Clinton and Obama in Haiti. Obviously, Clinton and Obama hurt more because no one expects the demon rats to do what they do. 
Um, but Trump, everybody expects the, the, the Republicans to do what they do. Um, and so as they shepherd people into these thinking spaces, um, we are trying to move out of those spaces. And so, for instance, I was saying to Brother uh, uh, Lee, um, there are certain universal things that I, I have listed amongst the things that uh, let's say that there are debate points right now with respect to America. Uh, I, I say America, the United States. Obviously, we live in the Americas. But debate points. And I, I just want to leave your audience with, with some of the things that I would like you to talk, think about. With respect to Haiti, we are going to win at some point. I have no idea this is an endless night. Um, and in that endless night, I've been here for 30 years uh, advocating um, against um, uh, uh, the, the lack of sovereignty with a lot of tools, uh, whether it's my artwork or whether it's my um, uh, uh, legal tools. I have, and I would like for, to, to request who, those who are listening to my voice, there is a petition. Just put Haiti petition, petition please sign it. I am petitioning for all the babies that UN left in Haiti. They have Haitian mothers who are taking care of these babies. They couldn't even, you know, they were in poverty before. Now they're in worse poverty, but we have these children. They need to be educated. They need to be fed. And we've asked for the UN to stop raping Haitian children. We have asked for the NGOs and non-for-profits to stop raping Haitian children. As you know, um, the charitable industrial complex is part of a tool, just like the UN is, of um, empire. So general situation, the, um, when we started out with this, I mean, in Toussaint back in 1791, we started out with 250,000 people. It's 2019. We have 13,000 in Haiti and 5,000. So we, we have a crop of folks. But however, how many of those folks do we have um, um, who are going to resist and not be part of the collaborating or the indifference? And this is not just about Haitians because obviously this is all over. We either integrate with injustice, which is Tuesday's paradigm, which is, which is, you know, he wanted a black rule. French colony, which is what all 53 of the United uh, 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 Union, African Union presidents are about. Uh, Mugabe held on, Eritrea sort of hanging on. There's a few levels and degrees of differences, but essentially, um, this is what they are. They have the two Vulture paradigm, and so do the uh, Negroes, K N E E G R O W, in the Caribbean heading the other 14 nations. Um, they are uh, holding it down on behalf of the mother country. Haiti stands alone. We fight. Um, we have the Negroes who are paid uh, to live in comfort while uh, a certain percentage of our, uh, 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 you know, 1% continues to rule. Um, so I look at what the scenario is today. Um, I believe that if Hillary Clinton had been president, you know, uh, uh, they wouldn't have missed with regards to Maduro. Um, we would have been at World War III already. 
We are close to it. The only difference is we have time because Trump talks. And because he talks, um, and because he's trying to take a deal, it gives us more time um, to, 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 to find consensus among us, amongst ourselves and to find um, a path, a path towards liberation. I look at what's on the table at the moment. I see ADOS. I see uh, 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 the election in Haiti that's coming up, the election in America. I see, I, I heard one brother was talking about workers' rights. Um, I see that our community are totally close to the fact that um, workers are going to be automated right now. And so what is it that we're going to do when there is no work? Uh, uh, it's going to be something totally different than when manufacturing left in the 80s. Uh, so, but it will be affecting us. And so and the other brother talked about the, 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 the civil rights that are taken from folks who are disproportionately from our neighborhood with respect to being uh, uh, incarcerated. And obviously, you know that the Nixon drug wars was about uh, destroying the, the civil rights momentum and, and, and black power. So this is where we are. But as we go forward, I... I I, I'm going to put seven very quickly, mass incarceration, um, universal student loan, um, uh, okay, uh, ending mass incarceration. These are things that are being talked about right now from the lower end, not the Bernies in, in, the, in the standard, in the um, Biden, but from others within that uh, demon rat party that are a little bit more uh, human. Um, and they're talking about, I mean, the conversation about ending mass incarceration for, 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 for drugs has been going on for a long time. And it's really important for our community to get involved. And we have to talk about black specifics because they're only talking about it now because their community is, is, is so ravaged by it. Um, but black specifics, as I was saying uh, to other to folks who are talking today about, I don't say ADOS because, you know, just, you know I'm, I'm a poet and I'm a, a scholar. So I, I would say ADOE, African descendant of the enslaved. Um, I would say for ADOE, they have, we have to look for black specifics. See, I'm not an ADOE, but I, you know, when we free Haiti, I would be entitled to reparations for, you know, all of our uh, 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 independence debt from France. So I think we have to have these conversations. It doesn't have to anti-Pan-Africanist or anti-immigrants, obviously. Okay? It doesn't have it. And I hope that people remember I'm here so that I can enter that conversation when you don't know what to say, because I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've been rejecting the word minority to me, the word people of color to, to, me, to mean me, and the, word, and, and the idea that of trickling down. And I've said, no, we have to take our worth and who we are in our community, build it up, and then we go face the larger community, just like anybody else. So black specific, for instance, with mass incarceration would be uh, 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 to restore uh, voting rights to all felons like that. Uh, for instance, black women in, in California jails are being sterilized. They have to be restored in particular. So there's a lot of gang, for instance, there's gang laws that uh, don't allow brothers to, 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 to be with brothers because they, says, they say you know, you're not supposed to be with another gang member. These things have to be restored. Our, our constitutional rights, and they could go right under these universal things. So as, as these, this is coming, I invite you to think about this. 
you think about all these uh, uh, pandering that these duopoly people are going to do to get your vote or to get your attention. And as they speak about black incarceration, I hope you're ready to say, oh, yes, fine. we, we want to stop uh, 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 incarceration for drug users and addicts. However, we want black specifics because we were disproportionately targeted. And I, and I just gave you a few examples with the sterilization and the drug laws and the, all that stuff. And so when we talk about Elizabeth Warren talking about universal student elimination right now, um, you know, our community is, is disproportionately affected by all of this. Black women, for instance, have the highest proportion of debt and, and, and black people all together. So there has to be a specific underneath all that. We say, yes, yeah, we're into it. We're into universal student loan elimination. We're into the destruction of the mass incarceration. We're into universal free education for public colleges. However, there has to be a specific because our people in our schools don't get to even public colleges because they're not being taught. So there has to be a specific under that. When, they, when people like um, the, candidate, the Democratic candidate Andrew Yang, I believe, when he talks about universal basic income of 1000 per month for all Americans, now this is why I want you to pay attention because he's saying that and the reason he's saying it is because he knows there won't be any more jobs and there is a right to, 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 to be able to live as a human being with dignity. And, and there is precedent in Alaska, for instance, they get, they get a universal basic income, something like that. And so people in Brazil. So, so, so yes, you know, we instead of, instead of saying all the negatives, let's take all the positives and then let's act, act, put black specific to them. Say, yes, we want the university basic and we'll, we'll be an ally with you towards that, one, that goal of getting 1000 per month for all Americans. And if you haven't seen that, I, 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 I you know, go and look up on YouTube, Andrew Yang, Y-A-N-G, he's a Democratic candidate. And he talks about automation and how there won't be any jobs any in the future and all of that stuff that we need to not be the last community to be involved in this. We need to be at the forefront and we do not need to start having a, a negative conversation about ADOE in a way that then we just knock ourselves out. A living minimum wage would meet is another one. The new green deal is another one because it provides jobs, but under that should be some black specific universal health care. God knows there should be a black specific because I mean, how many black people do you know that's on dialysis? I mean, they're making so much money off that, off, off of our people on that. There has to be a specific about our uh, 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 preventive care, um, on not just Medicare, Medicare for all, but specifics. Because pregnant black women, for instance, have a child mortality rate of two, three times higher than pregnant white women. So if they want to do Medicare for all, we, the ones that are at the very bottom, should have some specifics when we talk about education access so that people understand that you need fruit in the, your WIC program, not just that sugary crap that's giving you diabetes or that's making your child sick and giving them all kinds of things. We need black specifics there because we are the ones that are, that are you know, my people are the ones that are being affected by that. When, when they're talking about Medicare for all or right to work, we have to talk about universal child care. I can't tell you how many black women and black people I know who, you know, they're trying to make it, in the, but the child daycare uh, uh, is so expensive. So we need all of those things specifically to us. And so we need to stand up and say, hey, hey, listen, if you all can't talk about it, I can talk about it. I've been doing this for a long, long time. 
childcare should be from infancy to the age of four. So, and, 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 and for everybody, all working parents, even stay at home moms and billionaires should have that. These are things that they're talking about. We should get into them, bring our stuff into it. Um, and the, the seventh one, or the eighth one, because I talked about the New Deal, is uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who's the congresswoman from uh, um, um, Hawaii. Her major platform is uh, Stop U.S. Regime Changes. Uh, well, that's critically important. We, uh, you know, uh, 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 but I haven't heard her mention Haiti because they don't see humanitarian intervention over there. Uh, they see it as humanitarian intervention. They don't see the the, the fake elections that, uh, and so forth. So I'd like to be able to put some black specific. I think uh, 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 Pan Africanists should go to Tulsi uh, and put some black specifics for Libya, black specific, you know, you know, because it was the U.S. regime changes in those spaces that makes it that we have a, a, a slave market in these places at the moment. So that's the conversation I think we can have um, when we're looking at ADOS, we call it ADOE, and we say, hey, for the moment, you all can do what you want, but right now, here are the eight universal things that all people are talking about right now. Um, we lack specifics with respect for it, and ADOS, as it stands, does not need to be anti-immigration. For instance, okay, as someone who is an immigrant, I have stood in solidarity with all my brothers and sisters, obviously, but um, I have to deal with black Negroes like Michelle Atelier, who I would like Pan-Africanists to help me not allow the United States to give a visa to come here. This is a guy who destroyed my country. This is a guy who represents all kinds of, uh, of negativity. So not all immigrants are, 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 you know, should be welcomed. And I think that when we stand in our shoes and we say this is what we stand for universally, as a people, as, as humanity, then we can have this conversation. And we, because this conversation is important, because what happened after the civil rights movement, we have now a new situation that has evolved, that the integrated Negroes, people are seeing that we have a blighted community, that when you take everybody out and take all the dollar out of your community and it's not being produced in that community, you're not producing, you're just consuming, you really don't have any power. So these are all the things I think we need to be talking about. I think it's both a local conversation and an international conversation because I have the same exact conversation at Free Haiti Movement with Haitians locally in Haiti because it is the immigrants who are now the banes of our existence, not only talking about the economic people in Haiti, the Middle Eastern Syrians, Lebanese, and Arabs, who are now uh, own all the ports in Haiti and all the commerce in Haiti, and we gave asylum to them. So it's really important that we don't dismiss things and say, hey, this is bad, because it's really important, because I see East Indians getting uh, H2 visas in computer technology when I know that my black brothers and sisters are going to school and won't be able to get a job because they're flying them in uh, for purposes of their own domination because immigration has always been used for domination. We need to get ahead of this conversation. We need to have it in a pan-Africanist manner. And we need to say, because I know 
that if there is a true power, powerful black uh, empowerment, and that we raise ourselves up in America, then we can help Haiti. Then we can help Libya. But when we're all dying everywhere, we, we can't do anything. The more powerful you are, the more powerful we'll be. Anyway, thank you so much, Mr. Lee, Brother Lee, for all of the uh, time and attention and uh, respect. Okay, my sister, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for this call so when we come back, we will have our panelists, they will have some questions or comments if you'd like to engage with you tonight as it relates to this war against our people and <coughs> Haiti in particular. So, listen, audience, you're welcome to call in at 323-679-0841. Hit 1 if you have any comments or questions. But we're going to pause for this call, and we'll be right back with our sister, Izele Zanto. This is Africa on the Moon. Encourage you 
to call in with any views and comments as relates to the subject matter tonight by calling 323-679-0841. And when you call in, please hit 1, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. So right now, Sister Zelly, we're going to go to our panelists. We'll start off with Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, the next five minutes is yours. The mic is yours, Brother Anthony. Thanks. Uh, revolutionary greetings, Sister Azili. How are you? I'm call, uh, I've a, I was wondering if you could discuss the historical relationship that the people of Haiti have with the people of Venezuela. I read that um, that when um, Jovenel Moïse took uh sided with the Trump administration against the uh, l- uh legally elected government of Venezuela that uh that the masses of the people in Haiti um you know uh ha- had an uprising they rebelled they uh they came out against the position that the political leadership in Haiti took and uh because I you know, I think they understand that historically, Haiti and Venezuela have a very close relationship. And I was wondering if you could discuss that, dating from the days when um, when Haiti, under the uh, Patreon administration, had helped Simon Bolivar liberate, um, you know, uh, Venezuela and some of the other... Um, uh, South American colonies that were under Spanish domination at that time. Right. <clears throat> yes, yes. Thank you for asking the question. Obviously, we, we do. And the people have been in the streets for two years since Jovenel Moise's uh, inauguration. Uh, I, mean, I have never seen so many people, and I've been here 30 years, I've never seen so many people in the streets um, and that, that really leads me to how much power the street has because Jovenel Moise is still in power. But 3 million people came out in, um, on the street, like on um, October 17th. But during the, the, the specific time you're talking about, um, when Trump in February uh, recognized Guado, of course, uh, it, it, it's an amazing insult to the Haitian people. Remember what I said. It's reverse. We have 80% of the Haitian diaspora who are just doing the grind. They're not involved. They're sometimes part of the problem. And then you have 20% of the people in here who are part of the resistance. But in Haiti, it's the other way around. In Haiti, 80% to 90% of the people are against what's going on right now. It's just that they have little power. They All they have is their bodies. And believe me, they have stood out there. And they went out there. Um, with the Venezuelan flag, obviously um, uh, most of you know that when Haiti uh, took its independence in combat from the European powers, it didn't just stay there like that. It is Pan-Americanist, too, as a, uh, in addition to being Pan-Africanist. It actually liberated uh, five Latin American countries, liberated all the countries right there at the top there, going all the way down Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, uh, five Latin American countries. Um, and Venezuela has always been one to recognize that and to say, but for the printing press that uh, Haiti gave, there was before Boliv- Bolivar, there was Miranda who came in 
um, and, and Haiti has done this not only for it actually uh, also helped uh, Ethiopia um, not become colonized by the Italian. We sent troops, we sent money, we sent, and so I think it was not money, but um, coffee that was then turned into money. Um, so yes, we have a history uh, in the past of, of, of going after enslavers, tyrants, and despots. And so that's the story. When you see uh, this puppet non-entity named Jovenel Moise uh, vote at the UN against the duly elected president of Venezuela, it is uh, offensive to us in, in so many ways. And so, and it also offensive to the ancestors that we represent. So, um, but, but, but here's why, not just because we, um, not just because uh, Patreon and Brian, the, the, the Haitians um, uh, sent folks over there. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's another story. Um, and we help Bolivar liberate Latin, five Latin American countries. But because in recent times, after the earthquake, <clears throat> when the United States was uh, uh, going to the UN with Bill Clinton, and raising billions and billions of dollars and putting it into their own coffers. It was Venezuela who came to Haiti and gave this thing called the Petrocati Bay Fund from 2011 to 2017. It was like $4.2 billion from Venezuela. And it is that money that actually funded this, this non-entities campaign because Michel Matéli, the previous uh, puppet president uh, uh, spent the the bulk of that Venezuelan Petrocali Bay fund money on himself and his cronies and maintaining power and handpicking this uh, Jovenel Moise. So the United States have wanted to destroy the Petrocali Bay fund for a long time, and so they they actually killed two birds with one stone. They they. The people were in the street protesting against the waste of the Petro-Caribe Fund by Jovenel Moïse and Michel Matéli. And at the same time that they were protesting against the this abuse of this Venezuelan fund by this president, this president who actually took this money from Venezuela, had the nerve to then um, vote against him. Thank you, Sister Inzeli. Let's go to our next panelist. We're going to turn the mic over to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, the next five minutes is yours. Yeah, there was a report about some uh, mercenaries who had, were uh, caught by the authorities in Haiti. Supposedly, they were there to remove some money uh, on behalf of the, uh, the president of Haiti. Could you give us more clarity in terms of this uh, particular situation? Yes. <clears throat> Patterns. We have to remember the patterns. They don't change with these Europeans. So um, the people in Haiti were, I mean, we essentially took down Jovenel Moïse. In order to change that story, the United States sent in mercenaries, and the same thing they're doing to Haiti, they, they're, they're attempting right now to do in Venezuela, okay, except, <clears throat> except we don't get any press. They sent in mercenaries. Um, and then the, these mercenaries put in a, 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 a war 
like um, uh, uh, in their faces, from their face to their hands, they're covered in, in, in black, you know, they cover their heads in ski masks, and everything is covered. So you think that they're part of the Haitian SWAT team or the Haitian police, but they are white folks. And since Haitians went out into the streets, and there were so many of them on October 17th, like I said, there was almost 3 million Haitians on the streets. The, the the Haitian puppet government got got concerned that they were they're going to overrun the palace and take him down just by their sheer numbers. So they brought in these mercenaries. These mercenaries started independently shooting Haitian protesters from far away, from like miles away, with their sniper rifles. Okay, um, and creating this chaos. Nobody knew who was doing this. They were saying it was Haitian gangs. But on February 17th, and, and I have pictures from, uh, um, from uh, November 18th of, the, like, saw hands, but we saw their hands were white. And, and we saw, you know, with all, everyone with cameras, they can't do what they did under RSC because they did this under RSC because I was there. So, uh, and, and these are all what they call the... Um, uh, uh, security contractors, and you know the history of those people. They came out of the South Africans who were killing South Africans, and when 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 apartheid went down, they didn't have a job. So they created uh, Prince's organization, Blackwater, and all those other organizations. Well, now they they they, they just sell their, their 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 services, and this is important. We have to be up on this. I um, can't tell you all the details on this. I'm going to summarize it, but please go to E-Z-I-L-I-D-A-N-T-O.com. I have American mercenaries arrested in Haiti go free. It's a written account from beginning to end. You have you find everything you need to find there. Also go to my YouTube channel. I think I have three videos. I did it in the moment of how it was happening. Now the way that Venezuela is connected to this is this. So um, in order to, to, to destroy Venezuela and make the people of Venezuela hate Maduro and their government, the United States has to strangle their economy and make it so that they can't eat, they, they, don't, they have an embargo, they can't get, get goods, and so that's how they do it. Okay, and part of how they do that is the money that Venezuela was expecting to come in from the sale of its oil, the United States, with their embargo and their European allies, they freeze it in their banks. Okay. Now, what I'm telling you for Haiti, imagine that being um, replicated 25 times in different countries, okay? So in Haiti, uh, uh, once... The the, the the Haitian people, like me, okay, in the Free Haiti Movement, we are saying to our people strategically, just keep asking, where is the earthquake money, okay? But they just kept, the, the, the media uh, wanted to focus on the Petrocaribe 4 million as opposed to the earthquake money because they never want the colonists to be seen as the corrupt, the one that's corrupt. They want to they make it as if it, the only corruption there is is with black-on-black crime. So the Petro Cayube money 
Was money given directly? See, the difference between what the NGOs were doing and what Venezuela was doing, Venezuela gave that money directly to the Haitian government so that Haitian government used that directly. When they have that $13 billion, it didn't go directly. It went to their intermediary non-for-profit. So but Venezuela did it the right way, but these Negroes uh, that Haitians did not vote for, that were put in by Obama and Trump, excuse me, oh, excuse me, not Trump, Obama and so on, you know, so they took that $4 billion because the, 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 the colonist, the Mandele, was, he was using the, there was no money coming in to Haiti from the earthquake relief. There was only money coming in from the Pitokai Bay. So um, there, according to reports, I think it was something like, I can't remember, I, I may be saying this the wrong way. Okay, set, like seven, okay, $760 million of Venezuelan Petrocaribe repayment was uh, frozen, okay? So once the United States uh, 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 said that he was no longer president, that he would, you know, they froze uh, uh, monies that were supposed to go for, to them, to Venezuela. So in Haiti's bank, there was uh, uh, reportedly over $700 million, uh, frozen Venezuela Petrocaribe repayment sitting there, okay, um, uh, uh, at the central bank. On February 17th, there were uh, seven, I believe, seven white males. Most, uh, they were uh, 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 U.S. US um, uh, mercenaries, really, U.S. mercenaries. The Five of them were former American military men, and two of them, uh, also American military men, but they were two Serbs. There were five Americans and two Serbs. They were caught outside, not that far away from the central bank, on a Sunday. They were caught on a Sunday, right, not that far from the central bank, um, and they had a cache of weapons in their car, uh, uh, lots of AR-15s, and, uh, um, and we saw for the first time um, sniper gear, uh, and, and, and so on, okay, just a cache of weapons, okay? But the Haitian police uh, stopped them because uh, uh, um, uh, uh, they had no license plates in, outside the car. And then once they, they searched the car, they actually found five different license plates inside the car. So they were arrested on uh, weapons trafficking, that was the initial charge, and conspiracy to commit crimes. Um, within three days, the U.S. ambassador had gone into the Haitian prison, and they were flown out of Haiti, and the authorities in America did not, um, uh, did not charge them with anything. In contrast, uh, there was a black U.S. Marine that was doing something similar, not similar, but he was, he was, he was, he was indicted on, on, on weapons charges. So what they're doing in here is that they're bringing in a lot of weapons. And, and, and just like they do in Baltimore and Chicago, they'll leave those weapons, like, abandoned so that the, 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 the Haitian children, men, will find them and then start their gang, 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 gang stuff. So in addition to, like, throwing crap, what do you call it? you know, um, you know, all kinds of drugs at us, there are all kinds of uh, uh, deviant sexual pedophiles at us, in addition to 
taking our sovereignty in addition to making us the biggest, you know, uh, uh, sex slaves, taking our children everywhere. Um, these mercenaries came in, and uh, they were caught. Uh, um, and, and just to finish the story real quick, uh, there were two things that happened. And this is how you know the U.S. media and the uh, international media is, is ridiculously um, complicit. The Haitian president said that um, they came to rob the bank. This, not the, the president, but uh, uh, someone who uh, represents the president. And then the prime minister of Haiti said that they came to shoot him because him and the, prime minute, him and the president were having, um, because the, the, at that point in time, Jovenel Moise was about to fall. Because he was about to fall, he tried to get his prime minister to resign. And his prime minister at that point in time was refusing to resign. So it is in that space you have these mercenaries come in, and nobody knows what they came to do. Um, I have that whole story. You can go and check it out. Okay. Right now we will go to Brother Moses. Thank you, Brother Hackey, for right now. We'll come back later. Brother Moses. Any question or comments you'd like to raise with Sister Izzelli? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, greetings to the sister. Uh, thank you for coming on, uh, sharing your story. Uh, the struggle is as enormous and it's, it's worldwide. And uh, certainly we thank you for your contribution. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, what was what would you say would be the greatest problem right now? Terms what needs the key area needs to work on in terms of the overall struggle in Jamaica and the contradiction. One more time, could you repeat that? What would you say would be the key key area that needs to be worked on? In terms of the various issues in the, in the struggle, uh, what would you see would be the critical one right now? I think he's raising with you, Sister Zilli, giving all of the contradictions and problems we have as, as a people. In your case, let's say we were focused on Hades. Haiti, what would be the major area? Where do we start? What would be the most important place where we start begin to address how do we overcome these forms of oppression and conditions that our people are suffering? I think we just lost the sister. Uh, she come back on. We'll let you know. But what we're going to do, we do have a caller that's been on for a while. And if they have a comment, a question or comment, we're not going to go to this caller right here. Call your last phone number is two one four five two one four five. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Based on what we're hearing, you have any questions or comments, please? Call the two one four five. Your last four numbers. Any questions or comments? Okay, we gave the call a chance. I think we got. We got Sister and Zilly back. I guess. Yes, I'm back. I'm back. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, he was just asking, given the contradictions of all the problems we're facing, where should we go? Right, right. the best place? How do you start to address them? What would be your suggestion? 
Well, number one, I think we need to understand that we are worth fighting for. Um, sometimes I feel like we don't think we are worth fighting for. We feel like we have to fight for everybody else. Um, I fight for the African uh, person, and that's what I do. Um, but if I, 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 it's not one thing. This is what I say. I say this is what we need in order to actually uh, uh, take power. We have to. We have to. Uh, money. We have to have resources. We have to have military. We have to have media. Money, resources. Excuse me. Money, military, and media. Once you have a plan, or of course you have to have a plan first, right? A strategy. What? How are we going to? Uh, uh, face what's happening to our people worldwide, which is why I, I, I always try to, whenever I'm in front of anyone, I, I, I don't just give a litany of the problem. I try to say, okay, with what's in our hands right now, without military money and media, here's what we can do, right? So I've already said, look at the eight universal things and then put black specifics in them and then push for this ADOE a uh, group of people, not to take them out, but to include uh, the, the voices of immigration and, and, and Pan-Africanists in it. That's what we can do. Um, uh, I mean, and, and I've already gone through some of those areas, whether we're talking about mass incarceration right now, you know, um, it would be great for us, for instance, you know, this is the first time that I see any any kind of positive happening with um uh, 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 you know, my, the, this brother may not die in jail. You know, this brother, uh, brother Mumia, uh, H. H. Rap Brown. Um, it's important that you know we come together and figure out, you know, what can we do to 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 use media to elevate that, so that you know when he does have his retrial, um, um, it becomes an issue. It becomes an issue when they're trying. You know, it's not, and we have to be strategic. You know, I mean, I don't give a damn who takes this man out. If it has to be Kim fucking Kardashian, I don't care. I would not like to see this brother die in jail. Um, uh, so I think we have to go into specifics, love ourselves, uh, not let our brothers uh, uh, be out there uh, languishing like this. Uh, for all these, you know, Black Panther, hey. Some of us should go, uh, who are in Oakland, go to the the guy that did Black Panther. He got a billion dollars um, and say, hey, here's what we need. Um, see, we have to be creative. Here's what we need. The Black Panthers, you know, X, Y, and Z is, you know, still here in prison, and, and we need to get his brother out or we need Medicare for him. I mean, we have to be specific. I'm, I'm tired of Pan-Africanists talking to me about philosophy. I'm a woman, and I care about the, the the hurt of the individual human being, the the terror that, that he faces on a daily. You know, the sister that came to Wanda who talked about uh, Tyrone, you know, I mean, that's her world. But it's the microcosm of our world, what happens to her. And so how do we, I think it's important that we, you know, we figure out how. Uh, to help the sister uh, uh, persevere, to remember his, his name, because uh, none of us are, are, you know, never leave a, a warrior behind, never leave a soldier behind, just like you don't leave an enemy behind. You name them, you marginalize them, and you say who they are. Um, that's, 
what I could say. I, I don't know. Uh, if I didn't answer your question, brother, please um, uh, let me know. Okay, Sister Zelly, what we want to do right now, I'm going to ask you to speak to one more issue concerning Haiti as it relates to a war, a war against our people. Then we'll let you make your final remarks on how we can support your work and stay in contact um, with you. And that question is, when we think about Haiti, we know geographically the West wanted because of the geography of it. And you mentioned that earlier in your presentation. But can you speak to our listening public about the importance of Haiti in terms of its access to the resources that is available in and around Haiti? Everybody knows that the underlying reason why the United States is in Venezuela is its oil. You know, everybody repeats that as if it's nothing. But with Haiti, they don't say that. And it's part of racism, white supremacy, to say that, you know, black people have nothing, right? They they really don't tell you that the Congo has all these resources that they're using. They don't bring that up. You understand? And so for me, you know, Haiti has... Um, our, geolo- our geologist says that um, Haiti's oil is a swimming pool compared to Venezuela's cup of water. So this is why the United States built its largest embassy in the Western Hemisphere in Haiti after 2004. The largest excuse me, embassy, I'm sorry, in the Western Hemisphere and its fourth largest embassy in the world. And so As people are talking about, you know, we don't want U.S. intervention, we have to name Haiti. We we have to name Haiti and Haiti's resources. Um, But since uh, the tool of Mandele, you know, the Joki, which is the, the, the nine areas of activity that Neela Fuller talks about, you know, our education, our religion, our law, our labor, all of these uh, areas of activities are what is used to maintain white domination. Uh, so is um, the media, this wonderful tool that they use, uh, in, the, in addition to the military and so forth, to make as if Haiti has nothing and all it needs is charity or the UN, which is what you know is so sick about these all opposition leaders who came to Washington this week, uh, messing around with the Black Caucus, who actually thinks that the UN is a space where blacks can get liberation from. You know, it's just very, very sad to us. Okay. Sister Zeli, I believe we have a sister calling all the way in from Cameroon. I believe this is our sister Celine. She's also a sister on the continent fighting for the liberation of our people. We'd like to welcome our sister Celine. Sister Celine, welcome to Africa on the Move. <laughs> Oh, good evening. Oh, good evening. And how are you doing? How are you doing, my sister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are sister. We are sister Zelia. I have cool. I have cool. Any comments you'd like to share or any questions you'd like to ask our sister Celine from Haiti? We're dealing with the war against our people. No, I don't want to share anything, man. What is just troubling me is just the way Africans are suffering everywhere. When I hear the story of how Africans are suffering, uh, 
it really touches my heart. It bothers me, and I begin to think, how are we going to go forward? Where is the, what is the way forward? How are we going to solve these problems that we are facing everywhere with the, with the Western world? The Western world is, I mean, troubling Africans everywhere they are. So what is the way forward? How are we going to manage it? It's very serious. So As I've been listening yeah, to the speakers of how they have been saying, Brother Moses and everybody, oh, it's just so painful to hear how our brothers and sisters are suffering. So what is the way forward? What, what can we do? to solve this problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping somebody else could know could know the answer to that, my sister. My I I um I feel you. Um I, I, the pain that our people are going through is um unbearable sometimes. Uh, I feel it in my body. I can feel it in your voice. I, I, um, this is what I say to my soldiers at the Free Haiti Movement. But it's, um, what I say is this. I always look back to how my ancestors, um, faced the evil that they were facing. You know, being raped at the whim of, uh, the so-called master, um, being killed, um, children separated. We're not so far from it. It's still happening. Um, We have to value who we are, and we just have to say no because I say self-defense is a human right, and we are human. Um, We have to love each other, number one. I always tell this story. When, when, When I have no road ahead of me when it's all dark. Um, During the Haitian Revolution, uh, Jean-Jacques de Saline, Haiti's founding father, um, they had spent, um, um, you know, years fighting, and this is after 300 years of slavery, and all the individual hurts and terrors that they each went through. Um, Um. and so when they won their independence that first time, I think it was like 1802, you know, and and they looked out, looking, thinking that, you know, they were going to have a little breather, and they looked out, and they saw that Napoleon had sent the greatest army, the greatest army to ever be sent anywhere. It was like looking out to sea, they saw boats, they saw uh, ships. Uh, he had came in with like 50,000 soldiers. Uh, and uh, this I didn't look at uh, Christophe, another uh, general. Uh, and they said, okay, the only way. I didn't give up because that's what we're doing right now, right? We're looking out. And we're seeing the overwhelming forces against our people. 
in America, <clears throat> I've lived through the 90s and generations after generation of black males being put in prison at their prime. Um, the drugs, the, 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 the gun violence, the, the, the medical violence. I've gone through all of that and seen it and lived through it. While I, you know, there were the integrated Oprah mammies were out there acting like, you know, things were good. So when I look out today and I see what you see, um, I remember what uh, Desalines said to Christophe. At that time, you know, they had just been out of slavery for like maybe two years. And Christophe had built these magnificent houses. Uh, for himself and his family, they were just enjoying a little bit of like peace and comfort. And then they saw that armada that had come to re-enslave them and put them back into being objects and non-human. And he said, the only way we're going to win is if we put liberty first. Liberty first. And so whenever we're at that point in Haiti, and I, I have to get people out of jail. I have to, you know, do another burial. I, I just go back to that point in time. Um, you know, I, I um, uh, you know, there's a sacrifice to everything. So um, that sacrifice, this is what our ancestors did. They sacrificed job, title, riches, even children, and put liberty first. This Aline said, to all his children, if you get caught, do not expect me to negotiate. He sacrificed everything so that we could have that first black uh, independent nation that actually destroyed this concept of white supremacy. And so I say the same thing. If we're serious, and I know there's only certain of one, and we, we, we're not going to get everyone in the world, and we don't need everyone in the world, just a few who put liberty first, who put integrity and honor and respect first, and who are soldiers first. You know, I was saying how Desalines in his 1805 define a man. He said that a, a black man was a, a good husband, a good father, a good son. I'm, I might forget something, but and he says, above all, a good soldier. So we need to be good soldiers. And we need to say no. And then we need to work with those who are there already, have been saying no for decades, and uh, give them, help them with some resources so that they can do more. You know, but in your own space, my sister, the one who's listening to me, you hug, you look at, look, look for the child. And I'm telling you, when you see a white man, be careful. Because they are sexual deviants, and they are they are hurting our children, and we let that religion get in our way from looking at that. And once a a, a child is despoiled like that, they it's very difficult for them to get over it as a man. They end up bending over, they end up losing who they are. So look out for that child. That's your first thing I could say. I don't care. Look out for that child. If you have a child in your family, look out for that child because that, that's what the Haitian Revolution did. You know, they looked out for the future. They knew that themselves they were not going to uh, 
um, enjoy the fruits of their labors. And they didn't. Desalin was murdered eventually. So look out for that child because he's our future. And always remember this. Time is not what the European says, right? And death is not the end. It's just the transformation. And they're still here with us. The ancestors are still here with us. So that's what I can say. Okay. Go ahead, Celine. Celine? Yes, I'm here with you. I'm on the line. Okay. Okay. Celine, what we're going to actually do right now is just give us contact information on how they can support your work and how they can maybe get in touch with you for those who may like to invite you to their communities, universities, etc. So you'll find us for tonight. Yes, thank you. Uh, Please come and help us. Um, You know, I always need resources because they're always kicking me off in terms of the uh, uh, internet because of the, the work and what I'm saying. Um, so if you want that sort of energy out there, you need to try to support it. Um, uh, my um, website is my name, E-Z-I-L-I-D-A-N-T-O at yahoo.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find the Free Haiti Movement. Also, there's a page on Facebook. You can And, and, and we do six events, teach-ins. We teach, um, so come and join us there. Uh, um, I have a patron. If you want to help, you can, you know, make a monthly donation of $12. I'm trying to get, you know, up to 30 people to do that um, so that I can continue doing the work. So if you want to be one, I'd really, really, truly appreciate it. I've been doing this for 30 years, but I'm now an old woman. I'm very, very tired and have to buy blood pressure medicine because it is hard out here. Um, so I'm just going to say thank you so very much. I'm going to continue to do this until I can't anymore. It would be wonderful, though, to get some help and support. And on a note, Sister we'd like to thank you for your contribution to today's program on the thing a war against our people and helping us to fill in the many missing pages of history, particularly as it relates to the history of Haiti and the Haitian people. We will thank you, and we will make sure that we will stay in touch. Anytime you need to share something, this station is available to you. Again, sister, we thank you. Okay, honor and respect. Bye-bye. All right. All right, listen, audience, this is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a station break, pause for the calls, and when we come back, we can come back with our brother Anthony Williams from the APRPGC. We're going to talk about this upcoming institution that's been around for over 61 years called African Liberation Day. And for 71 years, Palestine Day, we're going to talk about that institution, how it can help our people on a global basis. We will do this in about two minutes. Don't you go nowhere. We'll be back, and we'll talk about African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, with Brother Anthony Williams. This is Africa on the Move, and we'll be wrong right now with our equal rights justice. Crying out for peace 
and uh, we're doing it this way to reach out to more people because, um, you know, of the financial and logistical constraints that the masses of people are under, we wanted to uh, to find a way to to bring to make African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, more accessible to our uh, and to our people. And uh, we are trying to build a mass party, and uh, African Liberation Day is a major mechanism for galvanizing and politically educating and marking down the progress of the African Revolution in that effort. Now, you often say that your party often say that pan-Africanism is the solution to our people problem. Just speak a little bit about what it is and how does it apply to Africans all around the world. Certainly. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. And uh, unification is necessary because... Our enemies are very powerful and well-organized, so it becomes very important that we we organize ourselves and that we unify and, uh, social, and under scientific socialism because socialism is the only just economic system that is viable for African people. And uh, it can solve all the problems that we're facing worldwide. And again, Brother Anthony, how can you participate and listen to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day this year? Certainly. Uh, They can contact us at 202-239-2676. And uh, they can learn more about our organization by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and to our listening audience. Make sure you mark that down on your calendar, May the 18th from 12 to 3 p.m. No matter where you're at, go to the APRPGC website, get that number, get that link, and join in with your brothers and sisters around the world as you celebrate your day, which is African Liberation Day. Now, in closing, we go back go to Brother Moses. We'd like for him to make his final thoughts for the night. We go to Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for the night. Excuse me. Um, I think we've had a pretty interesting uh, discussions and. Uh, it's always fruitful when you listen to uh, Africa on the move. And I hope that people continue to turn, tune in and listen and uh, participate in, in, the, in the discussions. Um, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. We now have a good Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final announcement and final thoughts for the night. Brother Hackey. Sure. First, let me say the African awareness will be doing the travel, the roads, liberation, and freedom to Cuba. We'll be going to Guantanamo, Santiago de Cuba, and Havana. The trip takes place July 24th to July 31st. And for more information, we ask people to give us a call at 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, all one word, number two, at gmail.com. And my final statement is that, you know, um, 
certainly one of the things that we, we talked about last week, we talked about the fact that as the system deteriorates, then the desperation of those in positions of power will become much more desperate. And as a consequence, uh, they're willing to do anything and everything in terms of maintaining their, their uh, longevity. Of course, we understand historically speaking, we understand that all things come to an end. Uh, but unfortunately, we've got people in positions of power who don't subscribe to that philosophy. Their position is they're given the chance in technology that they got an opportunity to create a different precedent in which they can actually remain in power forever. Of course, history suggests that that's impossible. But nonetheless, the, the zeal in which they, they pursue uh, destruction of humanity is on an unprecedented level. And one thing the African community must understand, it's very, very important to understand that, implicit in the strategy of those positions of power is this notion that the liquidation or the killing off of people who are considered non-essentials becomes very, very prominent in terms of the political strategy. This is what we have to understand. So even if you're a black conservative, even if you don't know anything about the history of our people, even if you happen to have a lot of home and making lots of money at this point in time, it's all irrelevant. The reality is that the system is in decline. Our people are, in fact, um, perceived as enemies, you know, enemies of the powerful. And long as we're perceived as enemies of the powerful, our position in society will always be precarious. And we have to understand fundamental reality. We must wake up and understand reality. We must organize. We must create institutions because we don't have any choice. That's the bottom line. And as always, I encourage the people, you know, to unravel the matrix because it's extremely important. And without some clarity in terms of what's going on in society, then we do it, at, uh, you know, we do it at our own disadvantage. So we must understand rally of what's going on. And having said that, Brother Africa, I want to say to you, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Aki, for your contribution to today's program. Let's see about Sister Celine of Cameroon has any final words. Sister Celine, you have any final words you'd like to say to our people? Sister Celine. Oh. <clears throat> I'm just so happy I tuned in because I always like to hear Africans on the move uh, because of the the mind that they have to help Africa. So I'm just praying that God should give you people the desire of your heart. God should continue making things possible. Because when you have a vision and then your vision, you don't come to succeed the vision that you have. It makes things difficult for you to forge ahead. Uh, I'm just praying that African Awareness Association should continue to, to grow and let this radio continue to go to further places and let uh, some of us who are somewhere that are not getting in touch with the radio, let God make a way for them to get in touch so that they too can benefit and be able to hear all the things that are happen to, happening to our brothers and sisters of African lineage all over the whole world. I had never known that Haiti is in trouble. I have never known that they are having problems if I had not tuned to the radio today. So uh, it has really touched me, feeling that our brothers and sisters all over the whole world are still suffering the way we are suffering in Africa. I pray God to help us. So
so that there will be a change, so that there will be a way forward. Thank you. And Sister Lean, for our listening audience and those who might hear this program, if they want to find out more about how they could work with you and help your brothers and sisters in Cameroon, how can they contact you and find out more about the struggles of Cameroon for our people? Okay, my phone number is uh, uh, plus two three seven six seven seven three three two one four five. That's my phone number. Plus two three seven six seven seven three three two one four five. Um, our email is. Yeah. Naya Celine at yahoo.co.uk Naya Celine at yahoo.co.uk That's our email address. You might want to spell the email out for people so there will be no misunderstanding. Can you spell it out in, in terms of your email address? Okay. Okay, thank you. Naya is N-A-Y-A-H Celine, C-E-L-I-N-E, as in one word, not two words, at yahoo.co.uk. I think yahoo, everybody knows yahoo, everybody knows at and co.uk. Thank you. Thank you, Celine. We're staying in touch. Give our love to our people in Cameroon. Next, going Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. Final thoughts for tonight is uh, please participate in African Liberation Day, Palestine Day 2019, scheduled for Saturday, May 18th, from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., or New York City time for those people that are outside the U.S., uh, please call us at 202-239-2676 for more information or visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Anthony. On that note, to our listening audience, our friends, supporters, this program, Africa on the Move, is a community project of the African Awareness Association. Any views or comments you'd like to make about our radio show, please contact Africa on the Move at AfricaOnTheMove2 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be a guest, email us. If you have a particular subject you'd like to share, we welcome that. We want to remind you that you must always remember. Without information, you cannot think, and without organization, you cannot think clearly. We encourage you to join the organization that is doing something to help alleviate the oppression of your people and the oppression of humanity. And you feel like you don't see any organization that is doing that, then you have a responsibility to create one yourself that will address the needs of the interest to be able to eradicate the various forms of oppression that our people face on a daily basis. We'd like to have your support. Please email us, tell us what you think about our program. And like always, you can hear this program every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. Until next time, 
You're going to go back to Mama Africa, and then we're going to bring you Brother Kwame Ture, Lessons from History. Because you got to remember, those who fail to learn history is doomed to repeat the same mistakes again. So you're going to Mama Africa, then we're going to bring you Brother Kwame Ture, Lessons from History. We'll see you next week. Let's continue to scratch, go forward, Apple, back with Neville. You're listening to the voice of Brother Africa. Thank you for your welcome. We have been allotted uh, half an hour, and uh, within this half an hour, we are to explain some of the lessons of the movement of the 60s and uh, its relationships of the 80s and relevance to the 21st century. I have picked about uh, five areas that I, I have picked about five areas which I would like to uh, discuss. The first lesson that we can come to look from the 60 and gain is the understanding that the statement made by Abraham Lincoln is a true statement. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. This statement can be understood within the context of United States imperialism and its role in the late 50s. In the late 50s, based on the resolutions passed at the 5th Pan-African Congress in 1945, a decision was made that Africans the world over must create mass organizations and mass movements to confront colonialism in Africa and the Caribbean in the final round and also to confront racism and economic exploitation in the United States. From 1945 to 1960, Within 15 short years of this conference, over 230 million Africans were to gain independence. Swiftly following in that wake, the Caribbean was to light a fire with independence movement, and of course, the United States of America itself, beginning its mass movement since the mid-50s with Martin Luther King and the Montgomery boycott, came to show mass movements everywhere. The American capitalist system, in the wake of the independence struggle in Africa, 
was trying everywhere to demonstrate to countries just struggling against colonial powers in Europe that it was not like the European powers, that it was not racist, it was democratic, it never had colonies, etc., etc. The African masses in America came to put that lie to arrest quickly. Mass struggle inside the country came to demonstrate before the entire world that America was far from being a democratic country. It came to demonstrate, in fact, that countries in Africa were much further advanced in democracy than America ever was. Here, at least, Africans can vote. In America, they could not. One of the lessons, then, that we must draw squarely from the 60s is an understanding that real struggle must be left and must be understood only by the masses of the people. It is the masses of the people who could not believe the lies of America and came to struggle instinctively against these lies. This instinctive struggle must be properly understood. History, of course, is made both consciously and unconsciously. Last month in Miami, Africans came to unconsciously make history by revolting against brutal conditions and pushing humanity forward. But this was instinctive, unconscious, unplanned. Indeed, this is the same aspect of the struggle that we saw in the 60s, instinctive struggle. Thus, if we are to draw a conclusion just from this aspect of struggle, that is to say the people struggling unconsciously, unplanned, spontaneously and instinctively, that since people have an instinctive love of freedom, everywhere they will struggle for freedom. The history of Africans in America proved this clearly. Nowhere have they consciously organized to make advance. All the advances they have made have been unconscious, instinctive, and spontaneous. Certainly you can understand what will happen when these people become thoroughly organized. The lessons then must be clear. Human beings, like animals of the lower form, have instincts. Human beings, unlike animals of the lower form, have the ability to think and reason. The lesson then must be clear. All of our instincts at all times, under all conditions, must be governed by reason. The instinctive struggle of the 60s, the spontaneous struggle of the 60s, the unconscious struggle of the 60s, if they are, served to, if they are to serve to us as lessons, must come to be qualified in conscious movements, or rational movements, and planned movements. This then seems to me to be the first lesson that we would have to acquire from the 60s. <clears throat> of course, the capitalist system lies all the time. Some people think it lies some of the time, but it lies all of the time. And in lying, it has an attempt to make us think that in the 60s we were an organized people and everything was all right. We were not organized. We were a mobilized people. Thus are we to get a heavy lesson from the 60s. The lessons must be clear. A mobilized people, really, an instinctive people, a spontaneous people who struggle, struggle like animals. Even if we take the example of Miami, we can see it clearly here. In Miami, we're oppressed, just like we are everywhere else. But we wait until an outside force provokes us into action. Everywhere you will see us, it is always an outside force that provokes the African masses into action, even on the campus here. I told some brothers the other day, you want to organize all the African students on the campus? I can do it overnight. All I got to do is write a filthy sign, derogatory against them, put them on the campus. Next day, they all come to the meeting. <laughs> 
And one of the errors that must be corrected, a people struggling for their freedom cannot depend upon an external force to push them into motion. They must have an internal dynamism of their own. Consequently, the African masses, in drawing lessons from the 60s, must come clearly to understand that they must have a dynamism in their hands to tell them when to attack the enemy, how to attack the enemy, and where to carry their struggle. Thus, the 60s must come to be qualified from a mobilized struggle to an organized struggle. We say they fight like animals. You back an animal up against the wall, and the animal, even a rabbit, will come out striking at you until you back up. Those Africans, once provoked, come out striking wildly, as they do in Miami. The police retreat, give them some concessions, they sit down, and then the police comes back with more repression. None of the gains made by a, by a mobilized people can be maintained. It is only an organized people who can make gains and use those gains to further their struggle. Indeed, the gains made by the 60s, since they were made by an unorganized people in a state of mobilization, have not been used by the people, but in fact used by the enemy against the people. It is clear for the history of Africans in America that unlike others in this country, the history is not the same, entirely different from everybody else. All those who came here came here expecting a better life. An African put on a slave ship from Africa knew he was coming to hell. It's a fact. Consequently, the relationship between the country cannot be same unless this African has lost consciousness of his history and think that he came on the Mayflower. This aspect of organization from mobilization must be properly understood. No individual African in this country makes any advancement based on his individual talents or worth. All individual advancements are based on mass struggle. This must be properly understood and can be properly underlined for you once you know the history of Africans is not the same as the history of others. We make no progress in this country without shedding our blood. No one sitting in this audience can give me one example where Africans in this country have made any progress without shedding their blood. In order for them to get into a filthy five and ten cent store, they must shed their blood. In order to sit on a bus where they pay the same amount as everybody else do, they must shed their blood. In order to get their children into state schools where they pay taxes more than anybody else, they must shed their blood. In order to get the vote which every immigrant gets the minute he comes here, they must shed their blood. Consequently, any advances made by any individual African is made as a result of mass struggle. Thus, that position does not belong to the individual African, it belongs to the people. Failure to use this position for the benefit of the people is a betrayal of the blood of the people. Consequently, when we come to correct the 60s and look properly at the lessons, we must become an organized people who, once having made gains, are capable of choosing for ourselves who will occupy those gains. They come to talk about some man named Brown who's going to be head of the Democratic Party. Who picked him? Who picked him? Did the African masses in the Democratic Party pick him? Not at all. As a matter of fact, the Democratic Party holds the Africans in great contempt. They have more elected positions than any other ethnic group in the Democratic Party and has no power in the party at all. They have 302 mayors, 20 congresspeople, 5,000 state, county, local, but no other ethnic group in this country has those many elected officials, and still they have no power in the Democratic Party. Why? Because we are not organized. Consequently, to transform our movement, to push it to higher levels, which it must go, because we will arrive at our freedom, if even instinctively, 
We must come here to put ration and clear reasoning to our struggle and organize the masses of our people. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down. Those of us who understand fundamental changes know it must come from the bottom up. The students, of course, always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge, and of course, this knowledge which they acquired is geared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor, instead of curing cancer, you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. That was life. Students, we say, at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus, one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in any society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in the society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus, from the 60s, while a reform movement, we were able to see that students, joined with the masses of the people, came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus, we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students to clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly, if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI, before the 60s, did not have informers on college campus. After the 60s, they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's a mobilized people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system based on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. 
Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masters of their people. Thus, that seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors. <clears throat> Uh, the students of the 80s going into the 90s have a responsibility to use their knowledge to help advance the struggles of humanity. We say the lessons here must be properly understood and the students going to spark these movements must go properly organized in order to bring organizational skills to the masses of the people. The third area the 1960s, of course, was a mobilized area, and in a mobilized area, there would be a lot of confusion. One of the biggest areas of confusion was the basis of the struggle. Some felt that the base of the struggle must be made by appeals to morality. Of course, anyone knowing anything about struggle knows that this cannot be. Even Frederick Douglass so long ago told us that uh, power concedes nothing without demands. It never did, and it certainly never will. Consequently, what was learned from the struggles of the 60s is that when one comes to struggle, one must struggle for power, not for morality. Certainly, one cannot speak of morality when one is speaking to capitalism. It is an immoral system. It has no conscience. It knows only its own interest. It will commit genocide to take land from the red man. It will commit slavery to enrich itself. It will drop napalm bombs on babies in Vietnam. Consequently, when we come to talk of advancing ourselves through power, we must come to speak of just that, power. And we must understand that the only place we find power is through the organized masses. Simply put, until the masses of our people are organized, we will remain powerless and thus the victims of all vicious powers that seek to exploit us. The question of morality, of course, must not be put aside, no. But it is clear that any struggling people struggling for justice are already struggling uh, for a moral struggle. Consequently here, the question of morality doesn't lay with them, but with the enemy who seeks to keep them oppressed. We must then understand clearly that when we look for power in the 90s, we must look, when we, look for, when we struggle in the 90s to advance ourselves, we must struggle only based on our own power, the, power of the, the ability to organize our people. Of course, we said that we advance only through mass struggle, and that is clear. Consequently, we must come to understand that it is only through mass organization and conscious mass struggle that we will properly arrive at our liberation in a planned manner. This leads to another point which must be clear, the questions of coalitions. The 1960s, of course, made many errors with coalitions. Here, we believe that political coalitions could be made based on sentiment. Somebody said they feel the way we do, and consequently we come to organize them. The history, of course, of our people shows that this cannot be the case. If one would go back to the history of the South in this country immediately after the Civil War, there arose at that time a party known as the Populist Party. One of the leaders of the Populist Party was a man by the name of Tom Watson, a white man from Georgia. Watson came after the Civil War to tell the Africans that the rich white man, he exploits the poor white man and the poor African. And consequently, what we need to do is to join an alliance against the rich white man. Well, you know us Africans, we just love anything anybody. We just ran into the party. <laughs> we filled the party of the populace. We did work for the populace. We were everywhere in the populist party. After the Hayes-Tilden Compromise, 
when the government decided to give the South back to the slave masters, Tom Watson became a member of the Ku Klux Klan and drove us out of the Populist Party. What was the error? The error was that as a force we were not independently organized, thus not even knowing our own power. We went in as individuals into the party, thus they could chase us out. Examples will be found everywhere. The struggle of the labor movements in this country is certainly instructive. If one would look at the struggle for labor unions in this country, one would find that Africans have everywhere played a role out of proportion to their numbers. If you look at labor unions today, they are racist from top to bottom. What was the error? Africans came to enter the unions without being first an organized force. The 60s then come here. We were told that we had coalitions with groups I've never heard of, the labor union. We had interests with the church groups, all of them. They were all, all for our interest. <laughs> of course, the error was that some Africans thought that the interest of America was the same as the interest of us. Of course, the job of the system, the job of the enemy is to confuse you and to let you think that your interest and your history is the same as that of your oppressor. As a matter of fact, the job of the master is to convince the slave that the master is really concerned about the interest of the slave. And if the master doesn't do well, the slave will be in trouble. Any slave who believes that he has the same interest as the master will pick cotton at night. All slaves must understand that their interests are diametrically opposed to the interests of the master. Not only are they diametrically opposed, they are antagonisms to each other. What is good for the master is bad for the slave. What's bad for the master is good for the slave. Of course, we said that even the people instinctively understand this, and the 60s come to clarify the point clearly. Of course, if you would look at the 60s, you would see at the height of the struggle, the struggle for human rights, came to be, uh, there came to be some confusion here with the war in Vietnam. The people always see clearly. Instinctively, the people understood, the African masses, that they had to be against the war in Vietnam. There was no question here. But it was in just expression of this position against the war in Vietnam that one came to see that in order to have coalitions, one must really have coalitions based on interest. I am not even talking here of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which was really the radical cutting wing of the movement of the 60s, and which was the first one to take a position against the war in Vietnam. Indeed, it did not take a position for peace. It took an anti-imperialist position. It said clearly it wanted the Vietnamese to win, and the way it was going to do that was to demobilize the Americans by not having an army. Thus, the slogan which Nick gave to them was a simple one. Hell no, we won't go. Simple as that. And that simple slogan, of course, came to cause splits within these coalition forces. The labor unions who walked hands in hands with us for, for struggles all of a sudden were for the Vietnam War against us. The church itself had to step back. Obviously here, we didn't understand what we were fighting for. We thought we were fighting for freedom. And Dr. Martin Luther King said it all the time, freedom is indivisible. As a matter of fact, he used to say all the time, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Consequently, if there's injustice in Vietnam, I'm stupid thinking I'm sitting in America not to think that it affects me. If there's injustice in Vietnam, I better go cut it down before it comes to find me. Consequently, since Africans assuming that justice was indivisible and began to move and to move everywhere against injustice, they came up against contradictions with those whom they made coalitions around the question of the war in Vietnam. We only use it here as a clear example. Africans cannot form coalitions until they themselves are organized and know exactly what their interests are. Thus, there's no need for us to talk now about coalition with anybody because we are a disorganized people. First, we must become organized. 
It is for this reason that we're held in such contempt by the Democratic Party, because inside the Democratic Party, we are a disorganized people, even inside the fair, with one fighting against the other, simply because we have not organized ourselves properly. It is for this reason that they will give us somebody and make us think that we pick them just because he looks like us. <coughs> Coalitions then can only be formed once we are organized and know precisely what our interests are. What then are the relevancy for the 90s? Revolution is inevitable everywhere in the world, this is clear. And anyone taking just a cursory glance at the United States of America must know that America is more ripe for revolution today than it was in the 60s. What are the conditions that lead us to this conclusion? Number one, the conditions are worse today than they were in the 60s. In the 60s, we didn't have to deal with three million homeless. And not only that, the very objective conditions put the people into contradictions with their own instinctive knowledge. Every man and woman in America, even the most unconscious man or woman in America, knows that America has enough wealth to feed and clothe three million homeless. It's a question of the will of the people. Consequently, the objective conditions we say are higher, but these objective conditions are higher with also another rising factor, the rising consciousness of the people. The enemy tries everywhere through their mouthpiece, the mass media, to make it appear as if the people's consciousness is not growing, as if it stopped. This is stupidity. The consciousness of the people must forever grow. And some of us become confused, not even understanding how it manifests itself. The other day, having a discussion with an elderly man, he came to say to me, Kwame Ture, you're always up on the college campus with our students. I said, oh yes, I work with them all the time. He said, uh, they are more unconscious. They're so unconscious, they're more unconscious than you were when you were a student. I said, never. He said, yes. I said, no, if they're more unconscious than we were, our work was in vain in the 60s. He said, no, I'm telling you, they're more unconscious than you are. I said, no, they cannot be. He said, if you go up on the college campus and talk to them, they know nothing about Martin Luther King, they know nothing about Malcolm X. I said, that's correct. We don't teach them. But one thing is certain, you cannot put them on the back of a bus. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> he was, he went on the back of the door. <laughs> yes. Once history is made, it cannot be unmade. The job of the enemy is to push the people back. Once we broke out of slavery, they did everything possible to push us back into slavery. No, sharecropping, yes, but not slavery. Since the 60s, they've been doing everything else to push us back. But once a man or a woman has learned something, as Sigmund Freud has scientifically demonstrated, it never leaves the mind, even if he thinks he's forgotten it. And once the people have learned something through struggle, never can they forget it. Consequently, the struggles of the 60s must be, un must, you must understood, are already ingrained in the culture of the people, making them more determined to fight, not less. If you come to look properly at America, we say it is more ripe for revolution today than ever before. In the 1960s, and we must show here the rising level of political consciousness. If you want to see the rising level of political consciousness in this country, don't look to the left, look to the right. The right in America today are involved in activities which in the 1960s they considered to be communist. If you would look properly at America today, you will see the conditions are more ripe. In the 60s, the progressive forces were facing the government and the right wing, which were fighting for status quo. 
today the right wing is not with the government. It's against the government. It's fighting the government. You have the right fighting the government and the left fighting the government. The possibility of change becomes easier, even though the right is not fighting for the same change the left is fighting for. That's understood. But the fact that both of them are fighting against the government makes the possibility of change much easier. And we say if you want to see the rising level of consciousness, look to the white right in this country. Where they disagree with busing, they burn buses. Where they disagree with abortion, they bomb clinics. Thus they themselves have come to demonstrate it, the use of violence as a potent force in arriving at a political objective. Everywhere the conditions for revolution are more ripe today than ever before. And in all of this is of course the rising consciousness of the people. The younger generation of Africans in this country, the youth, really believe that everything in America they have a right to. They believe it as a result of the struggles of the 60s. When they come up against a wall, there's going to be a serious explosion in this country. That explosion cannot be a repetition of the 60s. Indeed, history never repeats itself, even though bourgeois scholars never stop harping this song. <laughs> Nothing repeats itself, but people, however, can repeat their mistakes. Yes. And of course, once you repeat a mistake, it is more grave than the first time around. The lessons then must be clear. There is no question, and you must in no way lose faith in the masses of the people. It is they and they alone who make revolution, not their petty bourgeois spokesmen who betray them everywhere. And the conditions of the masses are worse today than they were in the 60s. These masses must have change and will have change by any means necessary. The final point then. The final point then. You must not become confused by the American capitalist system, which holds up betrayers of the people's struggle as representatives of the people. In any army in the world, if you desert, you should get shot. It's a law. Certainly you must be shot. And if you volunteer for an army, you should be shot twice. <laughs> of, course. of course. You volunteer for the people's army. The people go to fight. They're ready to fight. You say, I'm leaving. What do you mean you're leaving? But if you will look at our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America, they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. 
For the African masses everywhere, the clear poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we, who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we, who knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Up That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy, Mosaddegh, Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure.
Obama didn't say shit. What's the bigger threat from a Sama or from Obama? Military bases from Chagos to Okinawa. I say things that other rappers won't say, cause my mind never closed like Guantanamo Bay. Hope you didn't feel the statue or tattoo your arm, cause the drones are still playing over crash to the sun. Did he defend the war? No, he extended more, even had the time to attempt to go in Ecuador. Morales and Chavez, the states are on the hunt for your military now stationed on bases in Colombia. Take a trip to the past and tell them I was right. Ask Ali Abu Nima and Jeremiah Wright. Joe's over Pakistan, Yemen and Libya. Is Obama the bomber getting ready for Syria? First black president, the masses were hungry, but the same president just bombed an African country like. The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? If you think of the Middle East in this Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.